Uh, I'm actually donating. I'm at, a lot of the money ends up going to FARC, <laughs> uh, a little revolutionary movement in Colombia you might have heard of. Well, mine actually also goes to FARC, but Drew Curtis is FARC. Test, 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 test. <laughs> Drew Curtis is FARC. <laughs> what? Remember, it was like that. It was like the yeah. Snopes.com. It was like for internet story. What was yeah, it? Yeah. it? It was like every 2004 website that was called like. FreakingExcellent.com And it's like Here's a gif of John Kerry and uh, George Bush breakdancing Here's an essay about how much I like beer Oh my god (laughs) I tithe A certain portion of my income Every month to uh, Turning Point USA Uh, Yeah I'm contributing to Charles Kirk's Gum reduction surgery <laughs> It's like mm, Charlie we're going to take, take that gum line up by an inch or so uh, You'll be smiling again in no time Charles right now you're at a dolphin And we're trying to bring you over all the way to a mongoose As far as uh, te- the amount of real estate Your teeth and gums take up The ratio Matt start recording Oh I've been recording Okay all right. Okay. Wait. As long as we're talking about Charlie Kirk, uh, do you know like the other thing about him aside from his ridiculously large gum line the is that like thing, the whole yeah. thing that he is literally the guy from like that Vine? Uh, you're just suspecting a future U.S. Army soldier. <laughs> yeah. He said he got like red pilled to conservatism when he was rejected from West Point because like a WOC like took his spot in the Iraq War. Or it something. wasn't even West Point. It was just like he tried to enlist in the military. And like if you're trying to enlist in the military during the height of Iraq, like what? What what fucking disease do you have? Does no, no, it was, it was it was it was officer school. It was West Point. Wait, like, let me look this up. It, like it was. It I was don't know, it, I'm not sure if it was West Point, but it was some sort of officers' training school. And then he was like, "Well, obviously, I can't just join the army yeah. and fight in the war in Iraq I or Afghanistan." With the grubby privates and such. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, what am, I'm not going to just be digging ditches over yeah. there. I'm a th- I'm a leader. I'm uh, a Char- born leader. Charlie, because you're white, we're giving your spot as a second lieutenant to uh, Stella from How Stella Got Her Groove Back. <laughs> this is the politically correct army. But uh, Felix, I, I like that thing you posted the other day about how like they're like they're, they're they're the memes that they have on like Facebook and Twitter. You're like, I'm really glad someone spent five hundred million dollars <laughs> of dark money on this, like because they are so bad. Yeah, it was, so the meme that I posted was, it was uh, Noam Chomsky being like, yeah, the right in America is more of a threat than ISIS in North Korea. And then it's a black woman, like, with a, uh-huh, look on her face going, uh, why don't you move to North Korea then? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> fucking oh, nailed it, bitch. nailed it. What I love about that meme is that it begins with, like, a picture of Noam Chomsky next to one of his actual quotes, and then, like, the counter to it is, like, an obvious stock photo of just, they were like, look up, you know, they were like, oh. Of a black conservative woman who doesn't exist. (laughs) Well, Yeah, yeah, like, uh, I don't think they just search black conservative woman on, like, you know, film stock or whatever, uh, Shutterstock or whatever. They were like, uh, quizzical-looking black woman, you know, print, done, bought for, like, you know, $300 or whatever. There's actually going to be a splinter in TPUSA from the people who wanted to be a white person, like stay true to their values, and the reformists yes. who wanted a black the woman. The hardliners, <laughs> yeah. the reformists. Oh, fucking um, Lana Del Raytheon found some of their like earlier memes. Oh man. Oh boy, are they racist? <laughs> Very wow. Extremely wow. racist. Like it is one where it was just like a picture from like Baltimore or Ferguson of like black teens like standing on top of a cop car or whatever, and like the text was like, "Ask me again why I need a thirty round magazine." <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, Jesus. Dude, it was really bad. My, my favorite genre that they do now, I said this yesterday, is they take a celebrity who has usually never said anything about capitalism or socialism as an economic <laughs> system and whether they prefer one or the other. Like, one was Kanye. And it was just, Kanye says he hates capitalism, <laughs> yet he has a yacht. And it's just like, I don't think Kanye's ever spoken <laughs> out on, on Marxism or that's, capitalism. I mean, that's what TCOT used to be until, like, 2015. It yeah. used to be, like, inventing quotes by Kanye where he's like... <laughs> Uh, Kanye, Kanye said that uh, it's harder for him to write his song uh, uh, Piss on a Ho than uh, to be a cop. Well, this small town police captain wrote an open letter to him. And that used to be all T-Cop before they yeah. became Pepe's. Yeah. I, love, uh, I love choosing Kanye, too, the guy who's like married to the living avatar of capitalism yeah. in America at this yeah. point. Yeah. Um, anyway. No, he hates How it. many billions of dollars has she grifted off of 13-year-olds that are fucking app. More than us. <laughs> more, wait, way but more we're, than we're, we're catching we're, yeah, up. Yeah, we're catching we're up. We're catching up. Well, we got to get the app going. We don't well, we got to get an app where you have to pay, like, in, in-app purchases. Yeah. In-app like, purchases so is the key. Yeah. So you can, like, your in-app character can wear a Chapo t-shirt. That's $30. <laughs> you can turn your face into the baseball crank's face. That's $50. <laughs> well, uh, we all got a dream. Uh, I guess I should start the show. Yeah. Hello, friends. It's your premium Champo episode for this week. And uh, it's a special one because it's the, the OG crew. It's the OG Drive Boys. Me, Matt, and Felix with Brendan on the ones and the twos on the boards doing production. And uh, it's also special for me because this is the first episode of the show we've recorded in my new apartment. So this is like smashing a bottle of champagne uh, over the head of the ship's captain yeah. before and it, now, go- it and goes down. looking at... Looking through the webcam, I now know that both Felix and Will have that suspended microwave over the oven, which is way fancier than anything I've ever had, so I feel deeply alienated from everyone. Oh, man, if you think that's fancy, you should see some of the lawn jockeys that Will has in there. <laughs> I don't even get there. You didn't even put them outside. What's the point? No, they're just in my bedroom window all lined up. I like, to, I like to have them look at me, and I like to say hello to them every morning. <laughs> Okay, Let's see if that makes it into the cut. No. Um, <laughs> I think that's going to be the thing where one quarter of it makes it into it, and then you just hear it cut, and people are like, oh, I guess they had audio troubles. <laughs> um, no, actually, anytime I make any edit now, people are like, why did you sign on? <laughs> it was probably really good. I'm like, sometimes I just need to t- cut a little bit. I just need to tighten up some silence. <laughs> um, I One time I got mad at you for cutting because I thought you cut me out of the Adam Curtis thing, but then you were like, no, Adam actually requested to cut that out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? I thought it was good. It wasn't because of you. Um, it wasn't because of you. The interview was quite good, gentlemen, but you think you could just cut out that one fellow who had brain damage? <laughs> that mongoloid <laughs> just seemed to be in the room. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, got a, we, got a few, we got a few things to uh, discuss on today's show. Um, and then in the second half, we're going to be uh, answering your questions on Curious Cat. We're doing another pre-taped call-in show. So if you're hearing this right now, Find the link, go to Curious Cat, send us your questions, and it'll be too fucking late. But send them anyway, because they, they, they won't be answered. They won't be answered. It's too late. But, um, yeah, we'll be, we'll be getting some listener feedback. You uh, should have sent them during the episode on pet care. <laughs> you wanted them heard now. Um, but before we get into the, uh, the, a, few, a few news items uh, of the week, I got to ask Matt, now... We all saw Wonder Woman last week, and then usually, like on our movie episodes, we all go to see movies together and then laugh about them and make fun of them. However, 
Matt, so you sometimes freelance on your own as sort of our like independent movie crash dummy, like when you went to see Boss Baby and reported yeah. back on it. <laughs> Film like, Well, the Boss Baby thing was basically my friend and I were in New York. It was hot as hell. And we were like, fuck it. Let's just go into the theater. And uh, Boss Baby sounded like good irony. But I make it a point to see every Transformers movie in the theater. Woo! <laughs> so you saw uh, the new and Transformers. I've seen, and I've seen three of the five of them alone. <laughs> I, I take it seriously like it's my i'm bearing witness i'm the victor klemperer of american cinema basically. <laughs> my job is to see what the zeitgeist is because in my opinion and i had this realization shortly after the last one came out after i watched this insane two and a half hour 200 million dollar just eye molestation <laughs> i realized that every empire in history has hyper-exploited their peripheral subjects in order to build grotesquely expensive monuments to their own power. Mm. And the Egyptians had the pyramids, and the Romans had triumphal arches, and the American Empire has the Transformers movies. Like, they've cost, at this point, probably a billion dollars. You know, uh, uh, and that money is obviously coming from, from squeezing blood from the stones of the world proletariat so that they can make these just grotesque mind-destroying spectacles. Uh, and, but, the, of course, the great irony is that now they are less pitched towards American audiences than they are to the godless Chinese communists, mm. which was certainly true of the last one, which had one of my favorite scenes ever. There's a scene in the last Transformers movie where the uh, Transformers are fighting in Hong Kong, and they cut to a, a Chinese government official from the central government saying, we must protect the city. And that's it. (laughs) He's never in the movie before or after. The the Viacom, multi-billion dollar capitalist entity Viacom, spent millions of dollars to put like a solid 30 seconds of unalloyed propaganda for the Chinese Communist Party in a movie. It's amazing. Uh, There's none of that in this one, though. There's no Chinese uh, pandering in this one. So Instead, like, it's just insane retconning of world history. <laughs> to be clear, to be clear, you just you, the the film is Transformers: The Last Night. This is the new Transformers movie. Yeah. What like and then the the I think the things that we all picked up on is this like that that it it t- it's like Transformers throughout history and mythology. Yeah. So you got to fill us in. Okay, well, all right. Well, one of the things I love about the Transformers movie in the era of the Marvel expanded universe concept where every movie is just a, a pitch for the next movie and they try to maintain a through line of canon and continuity, every single Transformers movie starts from scratch in terms of what the actual lore is. Like, they don't give a fuck about anything that came before it. Like, it's like, no, do you thought that Energon Cube created the Transformers? Wrong. It was this CGI lady uh, from history. Like they they don't care, and I kind of like that because now every movie is just okay. Did you see the last one? Have you done your homework and all that shit? Now they're just like fuck it. We're just gonna riff on whatever. So in this one, even though in previous iterations of the movie they've talked about how uh, Transformers were created when we killed the dinosaurs, I think that was in the last one. <laughs> I remember they were fighting and cavemen in one of them. Yeah, that was in the last one. And there was uh, one where Transformers landed on the moon in the 60s, and that's why they sent uh, the Apollo missions there, was to get them. Uh, that was in the third one. But this, and there's one where they built the pyramids. 
That's the second one. But and then the first one, they just land in the present day and they had never been here before. So they've just changed it every time. And this time, the the uh, Transformers hooked up with King Arthur. Okay. In 500 AD, <laughs> and helped him fight off the Saxons. Why? Because he was the symbol of like humans' greatest possibilities. Like King Arthur's court was what what human civilization could be. Okay. And the hordes, the barbarian hordes, were like evil and uh, you know chaos. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And so then they went into hiding after that, but they maintained this. Uh, there's this order of like people descended from King Arthur's knights who keep his memory, who like keep up the n- history of them. It's sort of like the the uh, like the Knights Templar kind of. Okay. Or, and- or like uh, or the, or like in the Da Vinci Code, where instead of the blood of Jesus, they're protecting the secret of the Transformers. <laughs> and the Transformers will like hook up with them through history and help them with stuff. Is and, it, and this is all explained by Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, Anth- is way. Anthony Hopkins like the, the, the last Knights Templar? He is the last sort of keeper of the lore, yes. Okay, all right. Uh, he's this British, uh, British lord. And he's got this room full of portraits of all of the people in history who are part of this group. And it includes people like, you know, Leonardo, uh, Da Vinci, and M- Michelangelo, and Cl- Columbus, and uh, uh, Harriet Tubman, and Frederick Douglass. Okay, okay. That's what I needed to ask about, because, like, I saw the clip that said, in, in like, a little news item about how the latest Transformers movies, the Transformers help Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad. Well, they don't, they don't show it or anything, which would have been amazing. They just <laughs> show her, they kind of imply it. They imply that she knew about Transformers, and presumably they helped her. They, they uh, also uh, they were involved with the worst railroad. There was a certain Transformer in Central Europe who transformed into a train. <laughs> well, no, they, they actually show a scene in World War II where Bumblebee transforms from a jeep to attack a Nazi uh, like mansion, sort of like Dirty Dozen. <laughs> okay, the, my my favorite thing about like like okay this history retconning and like the idea that. The Transformers who are, you know, incredibly futuristic giant robots who can, like, change their arms into, like, cannons or helicopters and shit. Uh, or were aware of the Underground Railroad and the injustices of slavery, but, like, did very little to stop Well, yeah, and it. they also fought in World War II, but didn't stop the Holocaust from happening. <laughs> well, they had already gotten a contact uh, contract with the Nazi government to transform into trains <laughs> and gas chambers. <laughs> oh they were God. like, well, we can't break the contract. Like, it's... That was the know. Decepticons are transforming into trains. Yeah. And the, uh, See, the now, ne- that would have been interesting if they had sort of... Uh, created this like alternative history where all human uh, conflict was basically a, a proxy war between uh, Decepticons and Autobots. That would have been interesting, but it's never that clear. Because Optimus Prime, you know, uh, it was written by fifteen people, all like whacked out on coke and two. Optimus weeks. Prime transformed into uh, Fat Man and Little Boy and helped <laughs> us end the war by demolishing Hiroshima and Nagasaki in a in a flash. Yeah. Um, but the last night is actually Mark Wahlberg. Oh, okay. Oh, of course. All right, yeah. Spoiler cool. alert. I also love that Anthony Hopkins is in this movie. It's sort of like he got this. He's incre- been in some shit. He's been in yeah, some bad yeah, movies, yeah. but like. Well, yeah, but you know what? Here's the thing. And this is actually, I realized this a while. It's with the last Transformers movie, actually, is that uh, Michael Bay has a few genuine strengths as a director. And one of his most consistent abilities is to get good actors who are just collecting a paycheck to actually like not phone it in. 
Like, if you look at his movies throughout his whole career, you see these actors who have every reason to just show up and punch the clock, but they're actually good. Like, Stanley, Stanley Tucci, Tucci in the last one is fantastic. Uh, like, look at Buscemi in Armageddon versus Buscemi in Con Air, which looks like a, a Michael Bay movie, but it's not a Michael Bay movie. He's like sleepwalking through Con Air, but he's like a live wire in Armageddon. And that's true of all those movies. And that's true of Hopkins. Like Hopkins is like De Niro at this point. He shows up, he hits his mark, he mumbles his lines, and he's out of there. But he's like all zesty and fucking froggy in this movie. He's like, he's like saying, yo, bitch. It's amazing. <laughs> um, oh, uh, I'd love to piss on that hoe. <laughs> that bitch got fucked. So I that is about not me. at all far from the dialogue that they have Sir Anthony Hopkins say <laughs> in this movie. Um, I was actually uh, I was talking with Nick about this last week about Michael Bay and like the new Transformers movies, and he had the idea that like for the next one, like you're, you know they spend this obscene amount of money for these huge action sequences. He he had the I think brilliant idea that like they should just pay the city of Detroit like the equivalent of the budget to have him actually demolish downtown Detroit and have like a real Autobot, like just stomp through the historic Ford theater or something. I mean, it would look amazing. That would be, and Trump would absolutely <laughs> eminent domain Detroit to do that. Like <laughs> no, like no question. Or like the Chinese. Yeah, I mean, go- like they have, they have acres and acres of condemned buildings in Detroit that just sit there because they don't have the money to pull them down. Literally. So if you just dropped a six ton robot on them, instead, <laughs> yes, Yes. For free. Who would say no to that? Or, or the, either that or just bribe the uh, Chinese government so that he can have like a, a constructo bot turn into a giant wrecking ball and just put yeah. a hole in the Great Wall of China. It sounds like if you showed this movie to Trump, he would believe that Transformers have existed historically. Oh, yeah, he would. <laughs> like, no folks, question. Folks, I'm getting Jared on, on this. Okay, we're going to have him investigate where these Transformers are coming from. I am the only one Optimus Prime will talk to. Believe me, he respects me. <laughs> I've talked to him as both a truck and a robot. <laughs> now that we have like Trump's president, I'm looking forward to the next Transformers movie because everyone except this one, which was made during the transitional period, really, uh, they all have, like, the president has a lot to do. And they say him by name. Like, they actually have George Bush... In the first one. Like, he's a character in the first Transformers movie. And then they have, like, Obama on TV doing a speech in the subsequent ones that were uh, came out during the Obama years. Obama so has a special limo Transformer. It's <laughs> something I'm really looking forward to in the future. Well, I think that's a, a perfect uh, segue into uh, – oh, actually, no. Uh, you want, fuck. You want to do Jared first or talk about healthcare? Jared first. Let's do Jared first because this is a good segue uh, about – uh, like, you know, Trump and the Autobots. <laughs> this is, uh, you know, like... Uh, Palestinians is, are the Decepticons. Yeah, yeah, this is a news item that I, I saw just the other day and I thought it would be perfect to bring up on the show. Uh, we all know how Jared Kushner, uh, Trump's son-in-law, has been put in charge of modernizing all the U.S. government to make it run as smoothly as a business. Mm-hmm. And also uh, Iraq and peace in the Middle East. He's, yeah. he's got a full plate. And we've almost taken back Mosul. Coincidence? <laughs> I think not. Um, I, I just saw this news item the other day, and I, I had to mention it on the show. This is from The Hill. Uh, the headline is, Palestinians disappointed after, quote, tense meeting with Kushner. <laughs> and I was just, like, wondering, like, what the fuck must that have been like? I mean, it's just, it's still so funny to me that this callow real estate moron 
is in the room with like the Palestinian Authority and just like apparently uh, Abbas, you know, again, another callow figurehead who's pretty bad in his own right, uh, was just like really angry because apparently Jared just got in there and just gave him all of the Netanyahu government's talking points. It, what it is, is, is that we, I mean, every piece of pop culture ephemera from the 90s explains the current moment. Uh, we live in a 90s uh, Pauly Shore movie where <laughs> the crass, horny president played by Rodney Dangerfield sends his shithead son-in-law played by Pauly Shore to the Middle East to solve the problem. That's the world we live in. And then, like, you know, like, he gets in the room, and they're like, oh, I never. And then, like, the, the door opens, and, like, you know, fucking a boss comes out on a skateboard, and he's like, hang 10, dude. Yeah, that's that's our world. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, so, uh, yeah, Jared did not go over well with the Palestinians. But, like, I mean, let's be honest. Like, who the fuck would? Like, like what, 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 what school are we going to send mean, over look, there if, to, like... If you can't send a practically retarded 30-year-old uh, who uh, just... His only job in before this appeared to be to borrow money. Yeah. Like, <laughs> who, you know, who, who can you send? Oh, this is... Oh, my God. Felix, you, you caught you caught this, this list last week, but, like... Okay, so the, the other... Remember Brett Stevens had, a, again, yeah. another New York Times column where they're paying him to yeah. write about how he's leaving Twitter. Yeah. They're paying him article. for a fucking Medium post about how people are too mean to him online. And this comes, like, a couple weeks after his... Where he just reprinted a commencement address that said that people are too sensitive and, like, you know, safe yeah. spaces are bad. But he's like, um, I've been told to eat an asshole one too many times, so I bid you good day. And Sir, I will not be filling your hole. <laughs> Shout out to Libby Watson, who, you know, he, uh, Stevens gave an interview to the, the Daily Beast saying that her comment in particular when she called him a twat on Twitter, <laughs> like, made him rethink, you know, I didn't know the young people were so mean. On that. <laughs> so that's a friend of the show but, doing uh, some in, of in, the, in that thing, he said, I'll be coming back, you know, from time to time to, uh, you know, talk about music that I like, but from here on in, my assistant will be you know, and again, that's his personal assistant who probably the Times is also paying in lieu While of another journalist. Off actual yeah. reporters who are doing shit about labor and climate and politics and shit, they're paying someone probably a pretty good salary. Uh, to all, read, all things considered, to read Brett Stevens' Twitter for him. But they also have to be buried alive with Stevens <laughs> when he dies. That's true. Uh, but no, no, like okay, so I'm Brett or his assistant. If you like, I don't know if it's still up, but we 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 caught a glimpse of it. In his likes column, at the very top of it, <laughs> yeah. Brett Stevens' account liked a tweet from Pat Dollard, who is like the ah. absolute psychopath who like, he was this former Hollywood producer who used to work with Steven Soderbergh, who's like a meth addict, who was like alt-right before that was a thing and like went to Iraq and thought he was a Marine and shit. Yeah, and like he's, shaved a, his head. he's actually one of the premier valor thieves of all time. Yeah, yeah. He, he wears fatigues all the time, but just like to go into an air-conditioned room and be like, Muslim rape gangs are double. And <laughs> He was, yeah, he was sort of, he was a proto alt right guy who I think, I think he, his timing was off. If only he had like not done meth that early and yeah. like, you know, like he, he could have, 
He could have hit the crest as it was happening. Anyway, so at the top of the Brett Stevens New York Times account's likes is a Pat Dollard tweet where it's a video of Jared talking about monetizing the government. And Pat's comment was, listen to Jared's gay little nerd voice. <laughs> so he, call, he literally called Jared little homie gay ass. Yeah. And Brett Stevens or his assistant apparently liked that tweet. Dad, you have to call a meeting with the New York Times. They've used your best weapon against me and called me little homie gay ass. Tell them Rand is little homie gay ass. Um, Easter egg from the Wonder Woman episode uh, for the premium subscribers is that at one point during the movie, the doddering prime minister was sort of like flubbering as, as he was trying to explain his peace position. He was going, no, but so we did, we did, and Felix just leans up and goes, did Data know? Data, do not write an open letter saying I'm little homie gay ass. Well, we were also thinking that like in the room with the Palestinian Authority, like a boss or someone just like leans over and says, "Oh, I have the. I actually have the translation." Shout out to our boy Ali. Came through. Came through with the phonetic translation here. Let me just pull it up. Sorry, we can edit this. The out. phonetic Arabic translation of "little homie gay yeah. ass." Lute. Okay. <laughs> well, that's that's yeah. short. Yeah, it's like what a poetic language. Well, I mean, I guess that's like a term of endearment over there. <laughs> like, in Arabic, we don't say "I love you." We say "lute," which means "you're my little homie gay ass," which okay. I think is more beautiful. Ah, that is beautiful. Yeah. So that's uh, that's the news of uh, Jared for the week. Uh, the the bad Jared, not the good one. Um, and Brett Stevens. So wow, those are uh, two turkeys with one stone. Brett but Stevens, how does he look different in every photo of him? Have you noticed that? Well, he either has his little already gray but also very peach fuzz-like beard. He either has that or he doesn't. And then he either has his hair swept away or he has it kind of like this boyish like haircut like he's 13. Now, I can't fully claim credit for this. Libby deserves all the credit for getting him off Twitter. But I do notice that in his official New York Times pro portrait, he does have a beard. All I'm going to say, I, he did that after I personally challenged him to grow facial hair yeah. and take off his sort of old-timey child's... But is that one of those dots? Oh, oh no, the New York Times... Yeah, yeah it's not Wall Street Journal. Oh, it's right, an actual right. photo. I challenged right, him right. to grow a beard and take off his old-timey little sailor outfit and hold up a lollipop the size of his head. <laughs> I was just picturing in the Wall Street Journal when he heard you say that, and then he went and he just, with a permanent marker, <laughs> just did more dots <laughs> on his portrait. <laughs> but... um. The other, the other news item of note that I, I wanted to get to this week is just the ongoing abomination of the, this pending healthcare legislation that the Republicans are doing. It's in the Senate now. It's called like the Better Healthcare Act or the Senate Healthcare Art Bill of the or deal, whatever. Baby. No, yeah. That, yeah. I, this is it, called the No One Gets Sick Act. You don't want to vote against that, do you? Um, it's just like, uh, I think as it currently stands now, they've punted the vote till after the 4th of July holiday. There are still some holdouts like Suzanne Collins, I think, of, of Maine and a couple yeah, other Dan people. Heller, Dan Heller is pretty much a solid no because he's the only uh, Republican senator who's up for re-election in uh, 2018 in a state that went for Hillary. Okay. So I don't think that – I mean apparently Sheldon Adelson is really mad at him. Uh, but I don't think he's going to budge because he, he knows that he'd be fucking done for if he voted for it. Yeah. But the rest of these fucking ghouls, they don't give a shit. And that's what's scary to me about this because this bill is the kind of thing that you're never supposed to be able to do in politics because it's just too much of a poison pill. It's, it's too much of 
a blatant fuck you to everyone who would have to vote for you. This is the kind of thing, this is like a third rail thing. They're cutting Medicaid and Medicare. This is the kind of thing that they're just supposed to be too scared to ever try. And they're like totally willing to do it. And I'm not, I'm saying that like even with them pushing it back, they're probably 50-50 to pass this fucking thing, which is really sobering and terrifying to think of because it means that they're not scared. Yeah. It means that they have no fear. It means that they're betting that after 30 years of immiseration and social atomization, we've rendered the electorate completely docile. Only the most tribal partisans bother to vote, certainly in midterms, and we all know who those people tend to be. Uh, and any of the stray rabble who might want to go out there and, and uh, you know, uh, show their discontent, well, their vote can be suppressed and gerrymandered away from being a threat. And it helps that the, their opposition is totally disorganized and completely fucking discredited. I mean, if the midterms are nationalized and it becomes a question of like Trump versus Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, mm. a lot of people are just going to shrug their shoulders. And that means that the old psychopaths are going to be the only people who vote or the only people whose votes get counted. And just, yeah, like to your point, Matt, the sheer brazenness of how unbelievably awful this bill is. I mean, it's just taking away the health insurance of millions of people to fund a giant tax cut for like the wealthiest, most atavistic oh, people it's, in it's, our society. It's so out in the open. They are blatantly saying the most vulnerable, of you, uh, most vulnerable of you will die so that the richest of you can build fuckbots made out of juiceros. <laughs> like they're, yeah. they're just telling you that. I mean we had that episode with Peter Fraze that sadly got eaten by the computer. And we talked about his book uh, that puts out four possible futures that we could see in, in Western society based on technological and ecological factors. And the last one he talks about is eliminationism. And that's where capitalism deals with declining resources and technological stagnation by systematically liquidating the lower classes with targeted deprivation and military repression. And this act honestly feels like it's the starting gun of an eliminationist policy. Well, I mean, I think part of it is that just no, yeah, just no compunction about causing the deaths of over a period of a few decades, millions of people. I mean, this is sort of the policy nationwide. Bruce Rauner, our horrible governor in Illinois, just sort of he's just playing chicken with the budget and is uh, fine with the government not being funded. And so there, there's no funding for emergency services. Like no one will be able to call 911 in Illinois if this bill doesn't pass. But I think the other thing is like, GAO 6 was a big thing because it wasn't so much that Ossoff lost. It was that the entire party focused their attention on this one race that is – that's supposed to be the strategy, right? You have these purple districts. You have these moderate people who don't have to hold their nose waiting for Trump and just won't come out. But but the way that the, the, way that the, the resources were allocated, it was – they had that ad where Ossoff is texting and he's like just telling some person in the text like – I believe in responsible uh, responsible spending. And it's like if that if the entire party was focused against me on like somewhat of a vulnerable district, the kind that their strategy focuses on and the best they could come up with was screenshots of a guy texting about earmark reform. Like, yeah, I would be like, well, you know, the party's in this rough spot because this retarded guy that we didn't think would become president became president. And there's a split between his base and the moneyed interest. But if we pass this austerity thing, it will sort of will give him a big triumph. But I think there's a lot to be said about the sort of feckless and incompetent opposition. 
Oh God, it's so awful. And the thing is, is that they're, they're still obsessed with contrasting this nightmare bill with the fucking ACA. Yeah. 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 Because, and, but the thing is, everyone hates that. And it's a proven electoral loser. Everybody fucking hates Obamacare. And yes, obviously, there's no arguing at all. This bill being proposed is a billion times worse. But if you're contrasting a present shitty situation with a future hypothetically worse situation, how is that supposed to get anybody to give a shit? Not only that, but like the other thing I've been noticing like is, as far as like the, the Democratic leadership in uh, the Senate or, or and, and House is going like I, a lot of their criticisms of the AHCA and the way the Republicans are handling this is all based on these kind of procedural grounds. Like they're just talking about how unfair it is and how hypocritical the Republicans are given everything they did uh, to stop Obamacare from happening. Right? Yeah. Obama, and it's just like, oh yeah. That's Hypocrisy just like, is the only crime because and, and, you can and, point it out, and because it's nonpartisan, it doesn't have any kind of policy implications to it. And it's, it's like, who gives a shit? Based. And like, it, it, they're, they're right. Of course the Republicans are being hypocritical, but like that's their prerogative. They're in power. They understand that you have power. You use it no matter, yes. against, it doesn't fucking matter if it's fair or not. You use power to enact your agenda no matter what. And to the voter, when a voter hears like, you know, the, the supposed opposition be making these arguments on, you know, analytical or procedural grounds about how it's not fair, what they hear, and rightly so, is just the Democrats just throwing up their hands and going, well, there's nothing we can do. Right. They sound – people – one of the reasons people don't like liberals – I mean people touch on smugness and stuff like that all the time. But they read as fucking losers to people. I was and, whining. You're whining to the refs. Yeah, and the – I mean that sort of goes into the policy, uh, the policy discussion that's here. Yeah, people want to keep a lot of the improvements with Obamacare, but – the more tangible that a government, some sort of government program has affected your life, the harder it is to take it away. I mean, they had in the UK, they had this barrage of new labor scumbags and Tories, and they really harmed the NHS through privatization efforts, but they couldn't take it away because it was something people could point to and go, no, that makes my life better. That is a direct government program that I cannot imagine my life without. And with this, you know, we've talked about the 50 50 shot of passing it. Yes, it is. Obamacare is absolutely an improvement on what we had before. But to a lot of people, what can they specifically point to and go like, this made my life better? I want to keep this thing where I have to go on the confusing website and have to buy my plan. It's fucked up and it's not tax deductible for some reason. It's a nightmare for a lot of people. So even with the improvements, it'll be hard to take away. It will be hard for people to make a positive case for defending it. Well, that's the thing. Is that, like, that, that is why this has been so actually uh, useful. This whole process has been so useful in showing how many powerful Democrats – are genuinely hostile to single payer and yes. universal health care, regardless yes. of what they say. Like they, who gives a shit what they say? We know that they are opposed to it. Look at what happened in California. Oh, we can't do universal. They have a super we have majority. Yeah. That's of gibberish. And like I'm, I, I'm mildly skeptical of state based approaches to single payer. But can't if any money, state yeah. can do it, it's California, and they just killed it. Because they got a bunch of money from health insurance companies. It's not that complicated. And the thing that really shows you that they are full of shit, the thing that like cuts through all of their, all of their claims to – look, we want single payer. We want universal health care. But we have to be realistic. We have to confront the world that we live in, not in your fantasies, you goddamn Bernie bro pixie dust snorters. Is that this? Okay, they want to defend the US ACA. Well, what does that mean? 
uh, it means that, like, if this fails, if this bill fails, so what does the ACA, what does defending the ACA require? It means uh, basically fighting off Republican attempts to undermine it uh, with funding. Because they've been underfunding a lot of the elements of the ACA for over a year now. That's one of the big reasons that the Obamacare, uh, there was that big announcement of Obamacare uh premium raises right before the election is because they basically nuked the risk corridor element of it by underfunding it in Congress. And they're going to keep doing that even if they can't pass this bill and basically force something to happen. So how do you beat that? Well, it's very simple. The only way to do it is to change the composition of Congress. There's no other way to do it. So it's an electoral remedy. And I think everyone agrees that that's what it is. Well, if that's how you defend the ACA, how are you going to do that? By running in the midterms, on an Obamacare uh, uh, system that everyone doesn't like, even the people who think it's better than the alternative do not have any genuine passion for, or do you run on single-payer, something that polls incredibly well, even among fucking Republicans, mm. and that is simple and easy to understand. It doesn't require any discussion of tranches and, and, and like risk pools or any of that shit. It's like, you know how you're grandpa has medicare well you'd have it too that's you're done you've explained it love which you grandpa easier and which is better to run on in a midterm and there's no question i mean they, if anyone argues against that they're being disingenuous so if with if you ex accept that premise and you're still against it then you're not being strategic you're not being clever you're not yes. being a savvy political operator yes you're just opposed to single payer yeah and, and what is what is the realistic uh, pragmatic component here? Well, we lost everything by running on an extension of the last eight years, so we have to do that to win. Yeah, it just, you you worship pragmatism so hard that you don't know even what you're being pragmatic for. And I way. love all, all the, the the fucking drum they keep beating, or at least that they they beat throughout the election, is that they were going to get moderate Republicans. Those people are out there, yep. and we're going to go after yeah. those. Yep. And yet, as Matt just said, some I mean, I don't know if they're moderate Republicans, but a lot of Republicans like single payer. But suddenly, they're not interested anymore in getting the Republicans off of the other side to you know get excited about something Democrats could possibly offer them. They don't care anymore about right. those Republicans. What was their appeal to moderate Republicans? It was fucking. John Ossoff going, uh, well, you know, what if we had a balanced budget? Yeah. Do you think that's what? Do you, how many millions of people like that are in the country that and only vote on the budget deficit? To, 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 to my earlier point about like the, the, you can't just you can't just whine to the refs and make complaints about like procedural grounds or the Republicans are being hypocrites or whatever. To a certain extent, the Democrats can't do anything. Okay, the Republicans have them by the balls and they can basically do what they want. The Democrats, I think, they should try a lot harder to fuck things up and just gum up mm -hmm. the works and be as as much of a nuisance as possible. As they did to defend a no-fly list, right. of all things. Okay, but like uh, to that point, the one thing they can do, and Matt, you're exactly right, is forcefully and articulately lay out a different vision of society and a different vision for healthcare in particular that addresses people's needs and do it loudly and do it every fucking time there's a camera or a microphone in front of your face from now until 2020. Is that Jeremy Corbyn's music I'm yeah. hearing? Yeah. Release a manifesto that people like and then turn popular opinion against a horribly incompetent like, and evil Highlight government? how yeah. evil and horrible, like make a moral case for all their, for as bad as they are, the Republicans understand that politics is about competing moral visions for society. I would say that they represent 
the single most immoral aspects of our society and the most corrupt and atavistic impulses that exist in our society, but they understand that it's a moral vision and they make a moral argument when they present their policies. I mean, they present it to like the worst people in our country, but I, 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 there are more better people than bad people. They just need something to believe in and something to hold on to about their future. And right now, the, the, you know, we, as we said millions of times before, the Democrats ain't cutting it. However, to her credit, I, I did notice that Elizabeth Warren did say the Democrats should run on single payer going forward. Yeah, I, I don't love Elizabeth Warren. Uh, like, you know, you can't avoid this in national politics, but very hard into APAC and a lot of other things. But, like, she, that's, someone could win and on she that also, platform. She also made the point, which, again, I've been banging my head against the wall over and over again, arguing with, you know, Democratic Party or, like, Hillary and Obama people. She made the obvious point that the ACA was a conservative think tank policy. They, they went with the conservative market-based uh, option for ACA. She said yeah. another way you could, you could bludgeon the Republicans is by painting Obamacare, despite the fact that it passed under him, and say, you know what? This is actually conservative. And just tarnish that yeah, word more. Go, yeah. This is a conservative bill. You, well, you don't actually like conservatives no, if you no, hate Obamacare. No, no, no. They can't do that because it's all based on teams. And that's, that's like, besides the, like the venal need to protect the insurance industry, which animates a lot of the uh, sort of democratic structural opposition uh, among like individuals who don't necessarily have that same, if you don't have that material incentive, you argue, well, it's Obama's. He's our guy. We love him. Do you want to see his legacy ended? And for a lot of people who treat politics as like, you know, this, this game where you like pick a side and then you just love them, they, they find that persuasive for some reason. Uh, one reason I always wanted us to do a House of Card episode, House of Cards episode, because it oh hell yeah, we it, should. It, it 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 animates the other delusion of these Obama and Hillary Democrats that they're actually cunning, brilliant uh, Machiavellian <laughs> manipulators. When in fact, the entire story of the last eight years and how we got here and how we got there in the thirty years before is a constant story of Democrats obsessed with partnering up with people who will always betray them, whether it's bringing this Heritage Foundation healthcare bill to the House and saying, well, you know, this is a market-based solution, and then having it completely underfu uh, underfunded and rat-fucked and kind of doomed to begin with because it hinges on a market that is the problem, or it's Hillary's moderate Republicans, or it's bringing Michael Bloomberg to the DNC and, you know, he comes out last <laughs> now week. Says we last week, Trump. Last yeah. week <laughs> says we should support Trump. <laughs> Hillary's, you know, all the neocons that they lined up with, Robert Gates... There is, there are so many examples of Democrats making the Kagan family, Max Boot, yes. yeah, all these people who always betray them, always fuck them in the end, and always help them kick them further out of power. They are obsessed with partnering up with because they think they are making these this brilliant coalition. Oh well, if I get some right wing elements, they can't possibly fight against me. But every fucking time, they're Charlie Brown with the football and all this shit that we're preached to about pragmatism and everything it's already yeah. disgusting because yeah. why would you why do you enter politics why do you enter the negotiation table with your compromise but it's especially disgusting because look at the world everything every reason why you said you had to do this turned out to it happened anyway it fucking happened anyway and felix to that point and like this is like sort of the larger thing 
that I keep coming back to again and again is like I like I, I hear from like the we were talking with Sarah Jones just last week about the hashtag resistance and like the people <laughs> in the Democratic Party who you know were slamming our heads against the wall and like the the line that they coming keep coming back to is like look like you know. The Republicans are the villain. Like, they're the bad guy. They're the clear and immediate threat. Like, why are you wasting your time, like, attacking us? Let's work together to defeat, like, the real threat, which is the right. And, like, I agree. They, like, the right, the right wing, in, Republicans in control of our government, that's the problem. They are the enemy. However, to the pragmatists out there and the people who don't like purity in politics, yes, let's come together, but get this through your fucking head. You must bend the knee to us, not the other way around. Right. You have been proven as failures, and your entire worldview has been discredited. You bend the knee to us, and then let's fucking work together to defeat these things, not with fucking means testing or market-based solutions, but with a powerful social democratic message like what just happened in the UK. So bend the knee, and we can make up and work together, but not fucking before then. Yeah. And we're retreading some territory we tread, we, uh, we went through with Gorbin. But I think so the most instructive thing for the next Sanders, the next Warren, it should be that look, look at where your party is. Everything that they're going to try to throw against you, you don't, have to, you don't have to acquiesce to them. You don't have to do what they do with Republicans. These people are paper tigers if you, just, if you do not play by the rules of their game. And this is more life and death than ever because if you don't run them over if you don't put them through the fucking meat grinder shove their noses in the mess they made on the carpet they will try to elect 435 fucking john osoffs eat shit and then sell you a t-shirt saying hey at least we tried (laughs) and one last point about purity politics because that is a favorite buzzword of these people look I'm not for purity politics. I don't think like a Bernie Sanders would have won in that Georgia district, which has been gerrymandered to be like the most reactionary white district imaginable. However, single payer health care, universal health care, that is a purity test for everyone in the Democratic Party. You're either for it or against it. And if you're against it, get the fuck out. That like I'm that that is an absolute line in the sand. And that that is a purity test that should be enforced ruthlessly. The opposite of purity is poison. And so, <laughs> We're all right now, yeah, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's mud. It's mud. Yeah. It's mud, <laughs> mud politics. Yeah. Uh, Folks, if you don't test your uh, your representatives' haplo groups, like, <laughs> get out of here. Haplo groups. Haplo groups. Haplo groups. <laughs> oh, did I fuck that up too? No, 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 no. I'm just oh. saying that that's the voice that no, I hear no. in my head when I haplo groups. Is it haplo groups or haplo groups? Uh, no, I think it's haplo groups. Yeah. God damn I, I mean, it. I, I don't care, but um, okay. We're gonna, we're, we're Whatever gonna, they are, they're stupid. We're going to answer your questions in just a second. But like, you know, we've been talking about healthcare or whatever. A major part of any like healthcare reform, I mean, you know it, I know it. It has to be mindset. Yeah. Oh, any healthcare plan that doesn't address mindset and posture and yeah. self-talk is doomed to fail. I mean, you're not going to be healthy. Yeah. The point of healthcare is to have a healthy active, positive population. If you don't control your mindset and control your emotions and self-talk, then you're not going to be healthy. That's why my dad isn't with us today. He didn't do breathing <laughs> exercises. <laughs> he didn't do Win Hof uh, ice therapy. <laughs> yeah, I love you, Dad. I wish, but you, you were wrong. Folks, longtime fans of the show will know, of course, I'm referring to, you know, the God, our mentor, our sort of spiritual advisor yeah. in a lot of way, Mike Cernovich, of course. My oh, man. motherfucking Cernovich. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday, let's just say the audio book of Gorilla Mindset found its way onto my hard drive. 
And wouldn't you know it, Mike reads this book himself for that like five is amazing hours. To me. That honestly, I, I fucking tip my cap to that. The level of delusional self-confidence when you sound like Sylvester the fucking cat <laughs> and you decide, I'm going to read my own book. Balls, man. I was uh, – I, I doffed my cap to him as well. <laughs> I was Absolutely. <laughs> the, earlier this year, I was like in talks with people to do this like MMA documentary for SB Nation and they were like, do, do you want to narrate it? And I'm like – yeah, let me just yeah for like an hour of narration. Let me have my millennial vocal fry voice. People will love that. But Sternovich, a far more confident man than me, that's amazing. He's an amazing man for being like yes. Who else would do it? The, would it fall out because they wouldn't get you Morgan Freeman, Felix? <laughs> I want. Uh, I actually wanted uh, the pro Hezbollah singing, singer Julia Boutros, <laughs> the voice of an angel. <laughs> we were we we were in a cafe yesterday working on some stuff, and we were Will got this uh, this this audio book, and we started to play it out loud through his speakers in the cafe. And I was really terrified that we were just driving this woman next to us insane. <laughs> yeah. But then after we were done, uh, she introduced herself and said she was a huge fan of the show. So that she, she I, I was almost certain. I, I thought that, we were like torturing everyone yeah. else in yeah. this like cafe. Well, everyone but her. Yeah, yeah, everyone yeah, well, but her. That, yeah we were definitely making. Um, no, she's man. got good mindset, good posture. Yeah, exactly. She was she was very alpha, alpha female. We're not as bad. We're not as bad in public as we used to be. Like when we remember when we kept watching Seagal movies and every time we'd go anywhere I'd be like this is what we call motherfucking reversal <laughs> by the way there is a new one on Netflix and I hope everyone's been saving it oh we've oh, saved yeah. it, we it for you, for you buddy yeah we saved so it enough for you buddy I'm very excited about it remember when you were in uh, JFK flying to Pittsburgh and we were just watching Benzino videos <laughs> <laughs> And then, like, right as we got on the plane, Benzino was like, yo, you fucking worms. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so right now, uh, for for Matt and Felix and for the listeners, I'm just going to select at randomly just a clip from hour one of Mike Cernovich (laughs) reading Gorilla Mindset, and we're going to play it for you on the air. Just a a quick hit, because I want to share this with you, the listeners. So let's, uh, let's go. Hold on one second. When walking, it isn't something most of us are usually aware of. For example, we walk and we tend to land on our heels and then we kind of fall forward and then we kind of propel ourselves forward and we're kind of off balance, but we don't really know what we do. But that's not actually the best way to walk. The way you want to walk is to be more on the balls of your feet. So you want to start walking. Oh, really? Walk okay, I'm pausing. Fucking way. I'm pausing it. That was Mike explaining walking. That was Mike explaining walking. I'm gonna just jump. I'm gonna jump back and jump ahead. I'm just gonna select another random audio sample. Okay, here we go. Because blank, it could be anything. Again, it doesn't matter. I'll give you an example. I'm going to go warm up my brain because I enjoy having clarity of thought and intense focus. Or I might say, I'm going to take a contrast shower because I want to feel invigorated. I'm going to get out of bed rather than hit the snooze button because I'm tired of being passive about life. Write out your affirmations. Type them out or write them out. It will make them more believable. It will also put body to your thoughts. Your affirmation could even be an essay. For example, I'll read you the essay that I use. It's my own affirmation yes, on life. Yes, yes. I call it, I will. Maybe this, maybe that. Maybe I'll be a contender. Mr. Maybe is the ultimate seducer. Mr. Maybe will whisper things in your ear. I'll tell you, maybe you can. Maybe you can't. Maybe this is too hard. Maybe it won't work. Committing to Mr. Maybe is easy because it requires no risk. You can rationalize anything. 
But later in life, you're going to say, I could have been a contender. I could have done something. I don't listen to Mr. Maybe. There is no maybe. There is no might. There is no, that sounds interesting. You're either in or you're out. There's the daily, hourly, minute-by-minute, unrelenting commitment. Make a commitment to yourself starting this moment. It's a basic commitment that only requires two words. I will. <laughs> okay. okay. That is... Mr. Maybe will uh, maybe invite you out to uh, have some pizza. Uh, uh, or drink some Jesus juice. That is so, like, 14-year-old who self-harms Zanga. Like, that is... He's combining... Uh, Brando's speech from the end of On the Waterfront with Yoda from Star Wars. That was that affirmation. Okay, He, he was always the weakest one. He never <laughs> saved up his cum for his super serum. <laughs> All right, one, one leave, more. Leave the gun, take the alimony. That's the Godfather, not on the waterfront. I don't care. I'm just doing Brando okay, now. Right. I'm doing Mike Cernovich in okay. all of Brando's. All right, w- one more, and then we're going to do the Curious Cat. Then we're going to do uh, a pre-taped call-in show. All right. Just one more. Okay, here we go. No place else I'd rather be. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. There's nowhere else I'd rather see. <laughs> I'm telling myself, this is the person what I want to be with. This is the place I want to be. And when you tell yourself this, believe it. Believe there's nowhere else you'd rather be, and there's no one else you'd rather see. What? When you believe <laughs> using those two mantras will help you develop deeper, longer-lasting connections. Again, mindfulness is not just some random concept about meditation. <laughs> oh my fucking god! I'd rather see them on a plane. I'd rather see them on a train. <laughs> okay, Brendan, Brendan, after that you have to you have to cut in the audio drop of John C. Riley going on here. Home I wrote. You know I think I done I love you. You love me. Going down the sugar tree. We'll go down the sugar tree and see lots of bees. Playing. Playing. But the bees won't sting because you love me. That's, a, that's fucking great, man. Did you write that? Yeah. I write songs too. Wow. I'm still working on Hey, Jack. Jack. Because I, I love you. If you are saying that you'll never eat green eggs and ham, <laughs> you are denying yourself an experience. Say to yourself, I'll try it. And if it's not good, I'll be okay with it. I will find the Lorax today. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god he's so fucking oh, that's so good, good. We're, gonna, we're gonna have to revisit this in a future day oh, yeah that's oh my gold. god that's guaranteed content gold for that's there's five hours of this by the way on my hard drive oh man <laughs> i know what i'm i know what i'm doing on my flight to vegas boys oh my, my flight god. next week sorry when he said mindfulness isn't just some concept i fucking i i yeah. lost it holy Jeez. shit I, Master, fucking oh, master. God, I love him. He's so fucking you know, good. Uh, I'm starting to understand that he's able to make a living at this because if you listen to that and you think it's like actually insightful and meaningful, <laughs> you could probably buy like enchanted beans from him if he sold them to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. How many times a day do you think people who bought this book uh, fall for the dropped you your pocket gag? <laughs> I remember yesterday when you when you skipped to a random one, Will, he was at some point where he was going like, just talk to yourself. I'm laying down. I'm listening to my own audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. He's like, no, he was like, I, just be aware of your surroundings. He's like, I'm in bed right now. I have my headphones on. I'm listening to an audiobook. <laughs> 
I like. So wait a minute. So do like what your brain does yeah. naturally. Yeah. Only like just narrate it. Remember to yes. breathe. Remember to blink. <laughs> That's yeah, like, you know all those autonomic functions uh, that your lower cerebrum does. That is just literally like basically make sure that they're doing. <laughs> Dude, Mike Cernovich has just reverse engineered the Carl Pilkington query: "Am I in charge of me brain, or yeah. is me brain in charge of me?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's, oh, God, it's that's so good. cool that like the president's son like listens to this and is like, "No, the dad, this guy's great." Who? He's brilliant. Donald Trump Jr. is like a big Cernovich oh, he is? fan. Yeah, he is. And Michael, and Michael Flynn, Flynn yeah. Jr., yeah. And the and Michael Mi- Flynn. And Michael Flynn, yeah, was like tweeted the Gorilla Mindset. This we would have been flying uh, jets over uh, Iraq and Syria, just kind of blaring out yeah. that audiobook at the people below. Yeah. There's like, some, wait, there's the something to that, the though. There's something to pow- that. The world's most powerful military force in history is commanded by people who think that this is meaningful and insightful. That's so Just cool. Just think about what that means. I think Brendan's idea, though, about having the PSYOP division blare it over Syria, like, you know what? If you're if you're the type of person that would join ISIS, this would also probably appeal to you. Oh, that's absolutely yeah, true. And get you yeah. away from ISIS? Yeah. 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 And it'd be like, well, there's well, no more the caliphate. Guys, but... right? like, like, the guys who join ISIS are like the European Muslim versions of the dipshits who show up at like Proud Boy rallies. Exactly. Exactly. They're they're loser socially dislocated males from a dominant group and they see like a group of people that they think scares people, whether it's ISIS or the Proud Boys, and they're like, Oh, well at least uh, you know, they're right. I wouldn't have been a loser if I was in the Holy Roman Empire and I, or I wouldn't have been a loser if I lived in the caliphate, but now I get to do that. And in both events they just get owned constantly. <laughs> Oh man, that was good shit. Uh, oh, let's 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 get to the the listener questions. Close it out let's close questions. it out with some uh, some reader mail. Yeah, I think we can do about uh, ten or fifteen minutes of questions. Okay, cool. 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 Let's do it. Let's hear from you. I want to hear from you. What do you people at home think? Yeah. Uh, first thing I want to I want to read because it's already come up on the show. Someone asks, "Can we expect an episode on House of Cards?" I think so. I honestly I think it'd be a good idea. I've I've developed. After Corbin's uh, shock upset, I actually developed sort of a comprehensive theory about House of Cards and how its how its failure to understand the world is basically a failure to confront the truth of history as like a thing, as a failure to realize that historical forces exist. That show the basic fundamental failure of it is that it thinks that people, individual people and their desires are in charge of what happens. Don't give and too I much think away. I interesting to like yeah. explicate that by now, Matt, it. Especially since the last season, which Matt, you've I watched seen every episode, myself, though. is so fucking bad. I'm not done yet. Apparently there's a twist at the end oh, that's God. insanely bad. And I can't wait for it. Uh, but yes, definitely. I've only seen the first season of House of Cards, and I was like, "There's no fucking way yeah. I'm ever getting watching another season I, of this." So, yeah. I mean, if if you're the listener, I mean, this is my job. I will maybe have to re- maybe see like just a few other episodes of it for for the so I can have yeah, some. I, I, I've watched all of it, so like, if you guys want to do one, I can recommend specific episodes. Okay, and you can sort of. So- you know, so guide you don't us. have to like. Yeah, yeah. I'll curate like a, mm. a viewing list, so okay. you don't have to watch all of them. Okay, it, cool. It's an asinine show, but oh, I think sure. we we should watch all of it. It's important <laughs> for us to. Hey, man, I'm already there. Yeah. Holy shit! It's okay, good to suffer. I think it's I think that's a good idea. I mean, it's another like the newsroom in West Wing, another yeah. 
atrociously like pretentious and overwrought and like inexplicably critically acclaimed uh, <laughs> yeah. show that's about like you know how politics is fucking twisted. Now there's more than one way to see the pomegranate. You see, <laughs> uh, I'm a very tricky, tricky type of politician. Instead of making a deal, I'm gonna murder a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that the thing about Frank Card uh, that blew my mind uh, on from the first season is that he's a president. The motherfucking eats pussy. And and eats hog. Oh, yeah. He's like bi, right? Yeah, he's yeah, bi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I had a really weird experience where my mother really wanted me to watch this show. And she said, I love it because it's about politics. And I said, <laughs> I, 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 I think I know what it is. I don't really like it. But she made me watch it one night while I was visiting home. And it was you know, boring and lame and overwrought for the first 45 minutes. And the conclusion of this episode with just me and my mother in the living room watching... And in silence, I'm sitting there watching Kevin now, Spacey eat out Brendan, this woman. Brendan, I'm going to put you on the spot now. You're, you're saying you told me this story, but right before we started recording, you did tell me that your mom looks like Elizabeth Hurley. Well, that's because you were you, you were you were talking about Elizabeth Hurley, and I said I don't really like Elizabeth Hurley because I can't because she looks a lot. Like she my looks mom. just like my Whoa. mom, who's yeah. really Damn. smoking hot. Yeah. What did you say, Matt? Bam. <laughs> <laughs> Next question before we embarrass yeah. Brendan further. Um, here's one. Uh, why my man's will say rather like rather. Now, I've been oh, wondering this God. for a yes! long time. Right? Yes, thank it's you. It's not a mispronunciation. That's just a It's just an aristocratic thing. sort of... It, I, um, like I, my one sort of, you know, yeah, aristocratic Did they teach you that at, like, Lord Fauntleroy's finishing <laughs> school for velvet-panted boys? I just knew that people were going to want to know, and that's I, I, fine. There's, there there's no reason to it. I don't know where it came from. It's, you know, it's like... Your, I, do your parents say it that way? I don't know. Probably that's like know. where most pronunciations. <laughs> I need from. to know where this came from. <laughs> this will require further investigation. I think it's sort of like the same vowel sound as when I say anime rather than anime. Mm. It's that sort of mm. like the long and hard a. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, but yeah, it's like a mid-Atlantic accent. But the thing is, is that the mid-Atlantic accent is basically extinct, except for you. <laughs> it's like Catherine Hepburn died, and her spirit <laughs> somehow like entered you at some point. Oh, Matt, that's simply ridiculous. Well, give me a cavite one more time, and I'll suck you in the face, and you'll stay plastered, you queer. Um, that's always funny. So, yeah, <laughs> someone that. asks, um, if Felix is a 10 out of 10, how committed is everyone else to the Jared Fogel liberation bit? They're assuming this is a bit, first of all. <laughs> what the fuck? Mistake number one. You need to just listen more carefully to yeah. the show. Yeah. It's, Come on. it's clear you don't understand. Open, oh, your, open your ears. Oh, close your mind. <laughs> right. Um, uh, you should do a film show discussing a film you actually like. Um, okay. Have we thought about yeah, that? Well, we're we're going to do that. Southland Tale. That's on the docket. That's going to yes. happen. Yeah. What? Southland Tales? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to discuss the, uh, the, the sort of lost gem of like circa 2004, Richard Kelly's follow-up to Donnie Darko, the critically reviled, but in my opinion, greatly misunderstood masterpiece, Southland Tales, which I think we, we can make the case that it's the movie that most accurately channels the the bush era america yeah. yeah well and 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 i think reflects our current lives like you look at southland tales like yes this makes sense this is recognizable <laughs> the neo-marxists are like yeah. us in jacobin magazine basically <laughs> they were dirtbags I, yeah i uh like personally two two movies i've always wanted to talk about on the show that i unironically adore are gattaca and lynch's Do- the recut of lynch's dune Oh yeah, and okay. like, yeah, I don't know how. I mean, ah, 
Maybe. You could do a Dune episode. Yeah. Dune, I, I want to do. I would like to do a Dune the book slash movie. I want to do an episode on Dune. I with, did finally yeah. read Dune this year, thanks to you guys, because I wanted to get your stupid fucking references. It's a good book. It's great. It's right? a great book. I mean, it's not well written, but but it's the, a great story. Like, the like, world yeah. is good. Oh, I will. I will never buy that it's well written. It is terribly written, but. The, <laughs> The world building is pretty interesting. I will give it that. Uh, I would like to do. I would love to do a Dune episode, the movie and the book with uh, yeah. with Jacob Bacharach because he's a, he's read all the Dune books. And then, God, as far as David Lynch is going, all I gotta say is this is the water and this is the well has been running through my fucking head all day and it probably is going to be with me till I die. <laughs> if you don't get it, uh, we don't have to explain it any further, but holy shit. Next question. The only Twin Peaks I care about are a set of bazongas. <laughs> Next question. Same cosine. <laughs> um, let's see. Each of you fuck, marry, kill other Chapo hosts. Do you want to do that? Nah, that's lame. Nah, that's the hack one. Yeah, that's a dumb question. How about, like, instead of fuck, marry, kill, we're going to make a new version anal, oral, missionary? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, let's dive into that one yeah. right now. I'm going to be honest. I think the questions suck this time. Oh, yeah. I think that we, we have already fans. gone pretty, pretty long anyway. Yeah. Okay, give uh, me, like, just one or two quick yeah. ones, even if they suck. Um, Come on, do better, fans. Awful uh, hogs. Uh, there was one that I thought was kind of interesting about like when were your politics the worst you know in your life Ooh, but like well, that's kind of interesting that's, that's, yeah I know I know I have it I think like at some point in college I like briefly flirted with like a kind of like neoliberal or just like kind of like contrarian uh, like freshman year at college sort of contrarian like you know, anti politics yeah. that was probably me at my worst but. Strangely enough, I was in freshman year, like, 2001. I was never, ever for uh, the war in Iraq or Afghanistan, despite... Indeed, you tried to get out of being caught for smoking weed <laughs> yeah. by blaming it on 9-11 and the people who died that day. That wasn't day. my politics were at its best, by yeah. the way. That was my yeah. This is most your moment. radical practice. Yeah. Uh, for exactly one week, when I was 17, I was like, you know what? You know what? Ron Paul would be anti-imperialist. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's the my, most shameful thing. Oh, I think I yeah. Like, I think the I Charles had, like, Charles Davis literally wrote that article at like age 26, though. So I was I was quite a um, lib interventionist uh, in college and didn't really have any any curiosity or certainly knowledge about domestic affairs or the economy or anything until until I probably turned 20 or something like that i was a i was a college uh liberty or a high school libertarian but not really it was all about drugs because <laughs> i thought it was stupid that drugs were illegal and so the only party that said anything about that was libertarian that's how so they like, get them all right but i never bought like the other shit you know privatized highways and crap like that i was never down with any of that stuff uh and then i kind of like my transitional phase to like actual leftism was then sort of a juvenile anarchism in college. So it's like sort of libertarianism to uh, to anarchism. And then eventually I was like, fuck that. And now I'm just a good old-fashioned socialist. Okay. Yeah, just like how uh, drugs can be gateways to other crimes, the drug war is a gateway to being a libertarian, which is yeah. the Absolutely worst, true. worst And thing. the thing is, it's like you can't really blame a lot of people because there are so few voices anywhere else that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. That's a good Even point. if dipshit Ron Paul and his stupid eyebrows 
are like, you know what? Uh, you should be able to shoot anyone who comes on your <laughs> land. But uh, drugs should be legal. It's like, thank you, Ron Paul. No, but like he's also like, it doesn't say anywhere in the Constitution that you can't smoke marijuana. And then I'm like, this, this man is speaking the truth. I, I love it when they try to take like the Trayvon shooting. They're like, it, well, it's very simple. If Trayvon had issued letters of marquee. To- <laughs> well, that's it's his like, son well, now. Yeah. That, we're talking about Rand. Rand or, uh, who even yeah. the libertarian, even the, the, the true Ron Paul heads hate his son, I think, because yeah. they view him as... Well, I mean, he hates his son almost. It's, it's Felix, it's time for an intervention on that, by the way. For, uh, for uh, bringing back Rand? No, for letters of marquee. Oh, did I say that wrong, too? It's letters of Mark. Yeah, but I'm doing a character. It's, uh, <laughs> Rand, Rand Paul, who's stupid and doesn't yeah. know how to say yeah, that's him. That's a good yeah. point. You're right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Ooh, flip uh, that back on right, you. Uh, one more question. One more Fuck, question. I was trying to signal. No, no, no. no one more question. I, I got to. All right. You're going to have to wait. they all just suck? I, yeah, I said they sucked. I, I thought that was a good one to go out on. Um, all right. Hold Even on. Even a dumb one. These aren't even dumb. These are all like, what do you think DSA should do with a candidate who... Shut uh, the fuck up. The oh, more anti-Semitism. Yeah. Next question. <laughs> um, Where does the DSA stand on the Jewish question? <laughs> you know, there's just people trying to be funny. Um... That's our, someone's ju- ask- that's our job. Yeah, someone's yeah. asking about you. what happened to Frost Christman. We've already kind of told people that that's an irregular sort of thing. Um, we already did the what's your most kind of like politically off-brand thing. Uh, abolish the police. Good idea. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what are we reading? Um, ah, okay. okay here we Will, go. this is for You wanted one more yeah, question. Yeah, 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 yeah. Else. All right. Carpenter or Cronenberg? Ooh. 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 Fuck. I mean, I, for me, it's not oh, that hard of a holy question, shit. frankly. Okay, this is, this is like probably the hardest question I've ever had to answer, but push, I got to go with Cronenberg. Really? Yeah. You said John Carpenter. John Carpenter, they're both, they're like, they're yeah. one and two of my, probably my favorite directors of all time, if not, well, currently alive, but I, Cron- it's Cronenberg. That's interesting because for me, it's a no-brainer, Carpenter. Yeah. 100%. I mean, it, look, it's, it, I mean that that is like the off choice, you know, like uh, like that is the odd choice. I, I will freely admit, but uh, something about David Cronenberg, like uh, just his films speak to me. Well, I, I like a little guy named Christopher Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> we should all go see Dunkirk together this summer yeah. and hold hands as we look at those brave British lads. It's the greatest bloody generation, mates. <laughs> They didn't have time to bother men like Jimmy Seville about their normal business that they went about. <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, great, to be, uh, great to be back with you and uh, the original gang in my new apartment. Yep. This feels Beautiful. great. Until next time, guys. Over and out. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.